Blog Talk Radio. 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. The punching left crew will now begin beaming their psychoanalytic mind-bending signal into your brain at 14,888 megahertz. Please prepare yourself for two hours of one-way helicopter rides for communists, degenerates, and cucks. left 
and I'm here again with David German. It's been a little while, and by the way, that was a cover of the old song, Rock Me Amadeus, from the 1980s from Falco, but it was a cover by a guy named Leo uh, Marichioli, and he's from Sweden, and he's on YouTube, Frog Leap Studios. He does covers of a lot of different songs, and he metalizes them. Anyway, how are you doing, David? All right, how are you? Doing great. So we are here on Martin Luther King Day, and uh, interesting, interesting day to do a show. We haven't done a show in a little while, so I guess we have some stuff to talk about there. Things to talk about also uh, that uh, maybe not related to that. But um, how do I sound? We didn't really get a chance to mic check. How do I sound, David? You sound clear. Okay, so do you. You sound pretty clear yourself. So, um, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, so talking about Martin Luther King, uh, one of the things a lot of people do not realize is that his birth name, his birth name was not Martin Luther King. It's actually Michael. And uh, it's Michael. I guess his father, yeah, it was Michael. His father made a trip to uh, Germany, and while he was there, uh, he was so impressed by what he learned about Martin Luther King or Martin Luther that he changed his name to Martin Luther King and of course changed his son's name to Martin Luther King Jr. So that's that's one reason if you've noticed the similarity of course with the original Martin Luther. So um, usually you start out what do you think about uh, Martin Luther King Day, David? Oh man, it's uh I think uh, first of all that republic any Republican fans and it, it, uh, well Republicans aren't representative of right wingism anymore they're just light left light, light left wingers um, so I'm just gonna uh, not pull any punches here um, yeah the any, any right wingers uh, paying homage to him yeah Martin the uh, Michael Luther King are just um, uh, playing into the defeatist attitude that oh uh, he he uh, fought against the racism where he really was fighting against was the right to uh, right to discriminate which is inherent to property rights and these so-called Republicans defending uh, this is just capitulating to the capitulating to PC culture and the capitulating to people who, who feel bad. And Martin Luther King is just a big example of, oh, I have, feel so bad. I'm going to have these commies get in and make sure everybody, these, these white faces where white people can have their thing get, get messed up by the government through, democ- through this democratic process. We're going to practice hardcore activism and, and go... Uh, go and protest them inside the restaurant where they do business and and protest property rights in order to get access to whites. That that was the whole thing behind the civil rights act. He was saying we were gonna come we're gonna come we're gonna come get our check. He said that in a speech. Probably plagiarized too. <laughs> yeah. Well I just wanted to let you know you, you are just a tad bit muffled. Not real bad, but just a little bit. Um, so I know you're you're called in today, so <clears throat> excuse me. Is that's not. Uh, oh yeah, that's that's a lot better. 
Um, well, and that's that's one of the things that a lot of people don't understand about Martin Luther King. Um, they always talk about the great Martin Luther King, uh, King speech where he says, uh, you know, I had a dream and, uh, about the people being judged by the content of their character and not the color of their skin. But in, in one hand, he almost seems to be talking about how people are judged based on their merit. But then on the other hand, he was a communist. So if you look at that, you know, he, he was yeah. backed up. He yeah. he spent a lot of time with communists. And so you can't have it both yeah. ways. You can't believe in socialism and things like uh, affirmative action and then turn around on the other side and speak out the other side of your mouth and talk about uh, people being judged based on their merit. Yeah. It, 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 he, he's made out to be bigger than he actually was. And that's what the left-controlled media does. They 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 were planted in the 50s. They invaded the media universities in the 50s, and the seeds were planted then. And in the 60s, it all blossomed. Right. Well, <laughs> the flower. The funny the thing flower about blossomed. it. You, you, well, the the bad part about this whole thing is that um, you know, we, in order to view Martin Luther King as a great individual, uh, you you must ignore a lot of facts and sadly that's what we're doing these days we've made it a a business a bunch of news companies book publishers who make textbooks for schools uh you name it they have created a huge business out of ignoring facts and and really that that's what you have to do with with mlk you have to ignore the fact that one uh, a lot of his support came from communists, so he had he had no intentions of creating a society in which people were judged on their merit or the content of their character. No intent at all. He wanted to create a society in which uh, you, uh, from everybody, from everyone according to their ability and to everyone according to their need, and that has nothing to do with judging people by the content of their character. The second thing is uh, that he uh, was a was a Hey, everybody views him as a man of God, and this was not really oh, man. a man of God. We're going to touch on that. I I got Steph on that. Well, we, I, I mean, we I know, know for a fact if you look at the FBI files that that Martin Luther King uh, was not faithful to his wife at all. Oh no, no, he had a we'll relationship with Joan Baez. He, he had a relationship with Joan Baez. He had four mistresses with her, with him. He had mm-hmm. four mistresses. One was Joan Baez. And he had an illimited, mm-hmm. illegitimate public one, and he had a, a sex orgy, uh, one taking place in Miami, Florida, in February nineteen. February nineteen what? Sixty eight. Okay. All right. So February of nineteen sixty eight. So <clears throat> it's interesting, and and another thing that a lot of people don't know is there towards the end they always talked about that. One of the things that seemed to be this big deal about MLK was that he talked a lot about nonviolent resistance, uh, which in a lot of ways mirrored Gandhi. And these are things that both Gandhi and MLK and a lot of the other so-called nonviolent uh, uh, resistors or resistance movements, they uh, had learned this from reading uh, Henry David Thoreau. The, The interesting thing about this is that what we see what we see in the FBI files that were released in the last few years is that he had actually been in contact with 
these communist groups, and they had begun to tell him that they that they were pushing, they're going to start to initiate violent activities. And he had messaged, messaged back that he was okay with that. And so a lot of the game with him appeared to be that out of, in public, in his speeches and in his dealings with the press and with the public, he wanted to maintain that appearance of not endorsing violence. But in private and in secret, and we know this because they recorded him saying these things or his people saying these things, he had no problems with them initiating violence. So, you know, this is okay. So you look at you look at uh, the fact that he he was definitely um, not faithful to his wife. He um, did not actually believe in a, a society of meritocracy. He really didn't believe in nonviolent action. And what's the last thing that we know about Martin Luther King? And this is this has been known for some time. They actually. Uh, he came very, very close to losing his doctorate over this. Because he plagiarized. Uh, <clears throat> in 1991, right. Boston University admitted that MLK plagiarized parts of his Ph.D. thesis. They formed a committee and investigated, finding he stole 33% of his dissertation, 45% of the first half, and 21% of the second half from a, from a Boston U student, Jack Bowser. Jack Boozer. Well, one of the things that we know now as well is that he plagiarized a lot of his speeches, and including oh, yeah. the one he's famous for was not written by him. <clears throat> it was written by Stanley Levinson and Clarence Jones. Right. But people attribute the speech to him. So um, really, um, I, I don't really see why it is that we've decided to do away with our, you know, the father of our country's birthday holiday, which is George Washington. I don't understand why we would cover that up with this man. There's no comparison between the two. Um, And I I really think that part of the reason why that this has happened is because it's, it's not about the truth, and that's, that's what you find with the left and with establishment government. It's not about the truth. It's always about the narrative. Wouldn't you agree? Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah, it's always about the narrative. These guys... These guys are are always happy to overlook inconvenient facts. If you talk to anyone who's in their 60s right now, 50s or 60s or 70s or 80s, they will all tell you, people who are, I'd say, 60 years old and on up, people who were around at the time that Martin Luther King was out there and hadn't hadn't been assassinated yet, people who were old enough to remember, you know, what it was going on on TV and what they were reading in the papers. And the one thing that most of them will tell you is that he was really not that important at the time when he was alive. He was not as they, they he was not a really huge deal. He was there, people knew he was there. He made some waves, but he wasn't as famous then. And they may it sound like he was this this hero that, that arose up out of nowhere and did all this stuff and that the whole nation was looking to him for guidance in this time of need. And that's not what happened. He was he was a, a, a semi semi 
mediocre player on the on the field. That's what anecdotes in public education does to you. Right. Right. And and you can see it. That's what they do to you. Uh, it, it just seems to me that we've made a whole lot of something out of nothing. Um, but, I mean, what do you think, David? What, do you, what, do you, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, yeah, it's the public education. People, people become uh, N- NPCs and are trying to absolutely love the Civil Rights Act, absolutely love the fact that people can feel made, make themselves feel any way. And the fact that uh, black felt let out or being discriminated against, uh, it's it's all about the slave morality, victim mentality that they've they've been told to have. Uh, the bunch that believe there's there's some black individuals that don't believe that don't believe in in like that you should. You should have sure. you should have your property rights, and you should be allowed to discriminate. Uh, there's a few that believe that, but there's quite well, a bit of them that believe that you should have equal access to white uh, just because just because they feel like it's a good idea. But nations, neighborhoods, are have largely in history uh, been defined by race and creed, and are naturally separated from each other. Right. And and that's something but that we I, have to look but at. Me as a white man, if I if I believe that, even to some church leaders, I'm pur- purporting KKK ideas. I'm being a Nazi. I'm being a racial purist or something like that. Right. Well, anytime when, that you, when, any sort of white advocacy will will get you called those names. Period. If you're a black advocate. Or a, a Jewish advocate, or a, uh, a Arab advocate, um, or a Hispanic advocate—you get applauded. Sure, you're celebrated. That's right, and and that's 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 the way it is now. Um, we we live in a society in which um, the the idea is to they, they are these. This is all perpetrated by large corporations. We'll just throw that out there now. Martin Luther King has been made out to be what he is because he furthers the multicultural narrative. And and that narrative is that you can take people from anywhere in the world, plug them into the United States, into our society, and within a generation or so, their, their children that are raised here will be just like everybody – just like the white people who are indigenous to this area over the last 200 years – the people that are indigenous to Western culture. All right, so I'm not really talking about someone indigenous to a geographic area. I'm talking about an, an, a, culture, a culture that's indigenous with, with Europeans. And, and what we found is, is that this has been a failure. But they don't want to admit that. That's the reason why we spend a lot of time doing wholesale overlooking of facts. Um, and so Martin Luther King, uh, he furthers that narrative. And, and I really think him dying was perfect for them because – by him dying, they were able to basically take all of him and turn it into whatever he wants. He became a martyr. Yeah, but they, but then they were able to completely take control of the message and emphasize the stuff that they wanted and downplay the things that they didn't like. 
And and the reason why it was him instead of say Malcolm X because there really wasn't Malcolm X wasn't preaching multiculturalism. Malcolm X was, he was preaching about going back to Africa. Yeah. And he was also mad. He was talking shit about white liberals. He was talking about one of some of the things that Malcolm X said was, why is it that every time you see a, a black civil rights movement, there's a white person leading it, a white liberal? And he said, at least white conservatives are honest. He said, I can, I can work from there. But, but white liberals? He goes, they're dishonest. He goes, they're foxes in the hen house. Anytime you see a, a white liberal leading black people, it's a fox in the hen house. So why don't they just teach us how to do this ourselves and let and then let you know let the, let have a black leader for the black civil rights movement? He got killed too. He was killed though because he abandoned um, the, a lot of the communist and and ideas that were being preached by the uh, Muslims uh, that. The group that Louis Farrakhan is a part of now, I believe that that's what those who were close to him and were afraid for their lives. Uh, they said that uh, Malcolm X and some of the people that were with Malcolm X were killed by the by the same uh, Muslim group that Louis Farrakhan is a part of because he was no longer pushing the message that they wanted him to push. So uh, you know. Uh, Martin Luther King is is basically at this point he's useful because he's dead, and apparently he was kind of a useful idiot. He was long for the ride. He was white. He was he was white. Li- he was white liberal washed. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the things that you could say about him is that he was thrust into a position where he was famous. He was living well. He w- had all. He was getting lots of sex. And he was able to, and, and he he was looked up to by a, a large percentage of people, or by a, by a fairly significantly sized group of people. So why wouldn't he not? Why would he not go along with it? So I I think that one of the things that you have to look at on this is that with multiculturalism and these large corporations, he like I said, he fits that narrative. You know, one of the things it all fits in. There's, there's, people try to act like these problems are all disjointed. They're not interconnected. Our problem, the whole deal with Martin Luther King, our problems with multiculturalism, our problems with globalism, all of it. They're all our trade deficit with China. It's all related to the same problems. They are all caused by each other. Uh, one of the reasons why large corporations want multiculturalism is because they want the, and they want to open the borders and let all this this illegals flood in. People say it's for cheap labor, and, and that could be a portion of it. But really, for the vast majority of these large corporations, what it's really about is it's about a group that comes in. They've found a way to get them on welfare. That welfare is then spent on the products produced by these corporations. It's a way to make the American taxpayer buy more goods than they actually want to buy. Because when you let the, these illegals and stuff come in, or immigrants come in by the millions, you put them on welfare, they buy these goods. This, this is how you end up with these cheap goods flooding in from China. You end up with these big trade deficits and so on. Because a huge chunk of it's being purchased by, with American welfare. U.S. welfare, and so 
this is how you end up with a systemic long-term trade deficit. You know, short-term trade deficits can be good because it, it helps with market adjustment. Long-term trade deficits are bad because they're an indication that something is wrong. Well, what we have going on in this country that's wrong, our immigration system is broken, and we're using welfare to immigrants to help uh, extend consumerism to the next level. And that's, you know, and in order to try to convince us to accept all of these aliens from outside the country, these millions of invaders, they are going to bombard us with Martin Luther King. You know, uh, and and basically accuse you of racism if you say anything about it. Everything's racism. So it's all interconnected. I mean, do you, do you see that, David? Yeah. Yeah, I see globalism as that. Multiculturalism is the is globalist propaganda. It is about globalism, pure and simple. Global it's, it's about, corporations. It, it's about getting rid of true uh, it and uh, gentrification. Mm-hmm. Putting bringing all the communities, what? put aligning the communities and neighborhoods where they intersect. Uh, political boundaries, so that uh, so that it, it helps the Democrats gain a foothold in states when they put political territories well, together. That's what it's about for the Democrats, but for the people that are actually driving it, it's about selling more goods, getting richer. It's about getting richer off the taxpayers' back, and they're paying off. Yeah. And the Democrats, the side benefit is. The Democrats yeah. are getting kickbacks from these large corporations, and they're trying to figure out a way to capitalize on them as voters. Yeah, yeah, they they do through uh, yeah the one the other point was yeah yeah gentrification re- redistricting boundaries is another is another way of um, uh, bringing they're trying to bring races together they're trying to integrate races to, uh, through political boundary redistricting political boundaries. And making well, the they, minority vote profound, and yeah. they're and they're bringing uh, outsourcing jobs to Mexico. It, it well, is really the, uh, the Democrats. The Democrats want to want to redistrict that way, but the vast majority of us don't. And the global corporations can yeah, care yeah, less. They yeah. just want to make sure that we accept all those immigrants. Yeah, from Mexico and yeah, or outsourcing jobs anywhere. Yeah, anywhere. As long as they can get, as long as they can get them on welfare and get them to buy in products, that's all they care about. I'd say Walmart does the same thing uh, nationally. Well, no, Walmart is importing goods from China and selling them, and they're inexpensive goods, and they want those illegals. Walmart's one of the worst perpetrators of it. They they, they want act them. like they they want egalitarianism locally. They do that so that they can destroy their competitors. They uh, uh, they it, they act like they're an apolitical company that just wants to advertise their goods and advertise Sam's Choice and get great value and whatnot. Uh, they they are about they are one of the more political companies. They want 
they get in their foot in the door. They they probably I I think they do have a couple lobbyists. Uh, they uh, they advocate in communities for uh, raising the minimum wage so they can bring down their competitors in order to in in order to crush competition. Yeah, and they do that. Sure, sure. But but really in the end. If it, they don't really have to crush their competition as long as the numbers of population and people purchasing goods continue to expand across the board. And so if, they continue, if you continue to import millions and millions of stick, give them free money from the government. You're not giving them the free money because you don't pay very many taxes. What you're doing is you're getting the middle class to pay most of the tax or a large chunk of the taxes. You're getting the middle class to subsidize more consumption from illegals, from poor people coming in from other countries so that you can sell oh, more. Oh, yeah. You don't care. Yes. What I'm saying is, is you don't care if everybody, everybody can get more. You don't care as long as you keep getting more. Yeah, they they want they, – they are pro-welfare. Walmart with it. They are gung ho about it. They get most of the money from government welfare because people at shop at Walmart have welfare food stamps in WIC. Of course. How could they not be pro welfare? And, and the most welfare users are not whites by percentage. By percentage, the most welfare users right. are, are um, by ratio, is uh, people that are Hispanic, um, not. That are Hispanic, that are that illegals have gotten access in the past. Now they don't have it anymore. Trump took that away, but uh, there's no no more dream, dreamer stuff going on. Uh, and they were getting on welfare for free, and they're illegal. Well, I'd rather keep well, them here. So I just, well, but if you come across the border and you're pregnant and you have a child here, boom, your family's getting welfare because your child's a citizen. But really, by far, the biggest users of welfare are legal immigrants. They use more welfare than native families, and they use more welfare than illegals. Yes. So these big corporations, these big companies, they want that immigrant to come in. They want them to get that welfare money. They want more consumption to be subsidized. As a result, so does China. China and that's why our country off of America's illegal immigrant problem. Yeah, they they want that, and Walmart is a practitioner of globalism. As it, uh, they they do preach diversity in the workplace, and they do hire more women now. Uh, I've seen them hire more women than men, and more more right. women managers. It's on purpose. Well, it's been trying to teach diversity, and they they're. they're well, they're cooperating. They're cooperating with the uh, the social left wing paradigm. Well, there's they have reasons. Any time that you see a major corporation cooperating on so, for on social justice things, or when it comes to racism, et cetera, et cetera, there is a plan there to make more money. It looks good. It makes they they know that it's. Listen, this is the game. The game is, and this is something Machiavelli taught. Uh, you, the, the key here, sometimes you're going to do things that are immoral. However, that's not what's important. What's important is that you always look moral. So you can do all the unethical things you want so long as you're able to continue to look ethical. 
And that's what these large corporations do. They do many unethical things, and they manage to do it in such a way as, it's, as it feeds them on both ends. These actions, they paint them as moral actions. That's their propaganda. And then really, though, they have immoral reasons for doing them, reasons that are harmful to the average American person. Um, I mean, you can just count on it. So if they're hiring more women, I guarantee you there's an ulti- there's a there's a ulterior motive there that that we're not picking up on. Uh, if they're talking diversity, well, that's because diversity is good for their bottom line, not because they're really saints and they're moral. Yeah, they're they're, they're uh, they get they're, they get their they get so high. From that virtue signaling about well, they, the they, what they're doing was what they, their goal is also they're like politicians and and this is the this is the key to offend as few people as possible all the time that's a populist democratic notion it's polit- it's a political notion you know uh, they want to they want to look moral. And so they try to – every action, every move is a calculated move to offend the fewest amount of people and make the biggest amount of money. They don't care how they can keep from offending you. If they can do something under the radar that they know would normally offend you if you could see it, they will, and they do. A good example is the pink slime that they were putting in uh, fast food ha- uh, meat going to like McDonald's or hamburger meat for a long time. They were putting pink slime in it. Nobody knew this was going on. You know, I'm talking about the pink slime, which is essentially they would take the parts of beef when they would slaughter cattle. They would grind it up into a fine, fine taste. They would treat it with ammonia to make sure that it was – they killed any bacteria or anything that might be in it. And then they uh, gathered it all up, and, and then they mixed it in to the beef to add weight to it. Yeah, they they discontinued its use, but they practiced it in the past. Right, and they did that. They they knew when they did it. Nobody was going to look at that and be happy about it. And they actually were – they tried to sue – the company that was selling meat to McDonald's tried to sue the news station that broke the story. So this is the type of behavior you see from corporations. They follow Machiavelli's. Uh, uh, philosophy, political philosophy that you find in the prince. Look as moral as possible all the time and sometimes you're going to do immoral things and lie. And, and politicians on, the, on that side of things, you know, they are, uh, they like multiculturalism and globalism. These big corporations are, gi- are giving them big donations and they're getting free perks and fa- jobs for their families and so they're making a lot of money off of global, off these global corporations and these foreign countries. So they're all for multiculturalism and globalism. You know, the, the Republicans and the Democrats agree that they like all these illegals coming into the country. The, where they part ways is the Democrats want to try to get them to vote. The Republicans don't want to vote, but they do agree they want to leave the borders open, most of them. So, you know, it's just a big game, and Martin Luther King is part of that game. Martin Luther King Day, Martin Luther King's narrative. There's another example of a guy who was immoral, 
but they made him look moral to everybody. Yeah. I mean, don't you see that? So. Yeah, it's 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 called uh, running a narrative. It's it's they they the left knows how to do it. Molly knew, as uh, explained before, uh, that uh, they they know how to run a narrative. They know how to uh, uh, they they have a lot of that, even though they're doing it wrong, they have the integrity to follow their belief and and do accomplish their narrative no matter what no matter what the cost. Well what's funny and, is and Republic that, it's really white people and Republicans' fault for doing that. We uh sure it is. People who represent people who represented property rights, uh who wanted to um Back back then, they they capitulated. They didn't stand their ground. They didn't uh, weaponize against the left. They didn't weaponize against um, against those ideas. They sit-ins uh, uh, were communists. They they uh, they tried to use that that against us, and it worked. And we. And now we we have to uh, against the left. Uh, we have to uh, use their own weapons against them now in order to get uh, property rights back. That's the only way that's going to work. Well, I I know this. You know, we live in a system essentially where money, essentially everything that happens, we do not live in a meritocracy at this point. And money is really what everything is about. And, and so we live in a system in which all you have to do is is realize that everything that you don't like, everything that you understand that looks like it has a negative impact on our community, our society, our nation, all you have to do is look at what's going on. And if you can find some sort of profit motive for it, and they're very good at coming up with these schemes so that it's difficult to see these profit motives, but if you can see a spot somewhere, where somebody is getting rich off of it, then you will typically have your answer as to why this negative thing is occurring that's impacting a lot of people in the nation negatively. For instance, um, uh, you can look at, we were just talking about illegal immigration. You can see all sorts of places where people are making tons of money off of it. Right? So you, and it's not just cheap wages. It's not just cheap labor. That's probably 5%, 10% of the problem. The other 90%, well, I mean, look at California. Here's for the states themselves. They, all, these, all these sanctuary cities, why wouldn't they? When, when they do the census and they haven't, had, uh, they haven't asked whether you're a citizen or not on the U.S. Census since 1950. So these states want to bring in all of these illegals they can because they get counted in the census. Counting of illegals does two things. One, if they if it increases the population enough, they get an extra representative in the House of Representatives, which is increased political power for the state. Two, uh, these, the government funding, federal funding, is based on those numbers. So 
they want those illegals because they get more federal funding when they bring them in. That's why you have all these sanctuary cities and sanctuary states. They're trying to protect their federal funding. What's that? Yeah, yeah, that's that's what's going on. Well, you can just see it. All of these people, these major players, they all have skin in the game when it comes to illegals and massive levels of immigration. They are bilking the government. They're bilking taxpayers. Is what they're doing. This is all. This whole thing is a giant scheme to build build taxpayer that taxpayers the entire immigration setup is a giant scheme to build taxpayers and they're fighting and when we fight that they're trying to stop us because they are they're trying to stop us from keeping them from taking our money literally yeah and so when they see trump the reason they hate trump so much is because the things he's talking about doing either going to reduce the amount of money they can get from bilk out of the taxpayer or make it harder for, for these politicians to make, cut deals and get kickbacks from these big corporations in foreign countries. That's why they hate Trump so much. So the more corrupt they are, the more they hate Donald Trump. And I'm not saying Donald Trump doesn't have some corruption in his closet. But it's not at the levels that these guys are at. Period. So, uh, you know, so my 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 feeling is, if you want to know the truth, my feeling is that uh, um, Martin Luther King is not a hero. No, he was not one of the first, him as one. He's one of the first globalists. And, well, and, and this globalists. is not, yeah, and this is not because he's black either. It's because of the message that he preaches, and and the man who and the man himself. Um, yeah, he was now, definitely now it's, a globalist. It's a mortal sin if uh, if you criticize that man now, well, especially a according Republican. to who? Uh, according, according to, to globalists, people like George oh. Bush, people like Mitt Romney. People like um, uh, pe- probably people like um, Paul Ryan, people like that, right? Well, you know, um, you know, we see a lot of stuff going on in, in the church too, though. I mean, it's not just it's not just on the political front. Uh, the Catholic Church promotes huge amounts of Im- immigration. They promote. As a matter of fact, they practically promote unlimited immigration, and for any reason whatsoever, they they capitulated. They capitulated the slave morality, and, and they talk the same way about Martin Luther King, like he's some sort of saint. I, I know I'm no saint, but but uh, they when when you're putting someone on such a high pedestal that you name a day after him. That he's super worthy as a Christian minister to force people to allow his people to um uh, to 
have equal access to whites and have equal access to businesses no matter what for, for affirmative action. He was for the, he was for affirmative action. It's what he's about. Civil rights is, is based affirmative action, and then you have the extension of that, which is affirmative action. It's about it's about getting your check. Yeah, like he said, it's about getting our check. Yeah, he, and that's what you said. He said that he literally said we're coming for a check, our paycheck. Yeah. So it's about you don't think about, that uh, reparations. He was about reparations. He thought, he thought that they deserved it, and we both know they don't. You know, there's a lot of ways you can look at it, but I'm going to throw this out there. I'm sure a lot of black people will say that I was racist for saying it or that I'm a bad person for saying it, but here's what I'm going to say, uh, whether it offends people or not. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, based on the statistics and numbers I've seen, um, black people have gotten their reparations. So, you know, they've, they've gotten them. If you look at, uh, if you look at um, who pays the majority of the taxes in this country, it's not black people or minorities. It's white people. Why, if why white people the, are paying most of the yeah, taxes, it, well, if, if white people are paying most of the taxes, that means that the schools that black people go to, that means that all of the uh, welfare benefits that they're getting, they're not paying for most of that. White people are. Well, why is it that um, the descendants of uh, early Irish Americans who were discriminated against, why don't they get um, uh they might say Irish were not slaves, but some were. Well, I, I will say this, okay? When we start playing this game of uh, my ancestors were treated badly, so we deserve reparations, then then there's a problem. Because the, my ancestors won't be paying those reparations. I will be. And I didn't commit any crimes. I have never owned a slave. And what they say, well, yeah, but, but you're in a system where you benefit from the work that from it, it's right. But, so we but don't hold need because here's well, but here here's the thing: they also benefit from a system that was built by slavery. They also are benefiting from it, and they weren't slaves, so they're benefiting for something by their own logic that they didn't pay for. Something they didn't earn. Please make that. Please make that a post on Facebook, and I'll definitely share it. <laughs> well, it's true. They're benefiting from this society as much as anyone else, actually more. Because if you look across the board in Western cultures where Africans live, they on average earn uh, sixty between 60 and 70% of, of, of what your average European earns. So if you have – if you go to Britain, you go to anywhere in Europe, you go to any Western-type nation, that includes South Africa – where whites are like less than 10% of the population. They're like, they're like maybe 3 to 5% of the population total. If you go there and look, whites earn approximately, uh, black, black people earn approximately 70% what whites earn. So in every nation in the world where black people are, except with the exception of a few groups of black people uh, who are from different places in the world, uh, primarily, they earn less. So if they earn less and they are benefiting from generous welfare programs, Social Security retirement programs, and things like that that are primarily paid for by tax, by, by tax dollars, well, 
whites are whites are paying more taxes than they are so they're getting they've been getting their money back they've been getting their reparations for years there's just no way around it why would i cut them a check i've been cutting them a check So I, I just don't see the logic behind any of it. Yeah. I don't see a lot of logic behind a lot of what goes on nowadays, especially with, like, uh, like and this is white people's fault as well, as we talked about before, is that um, when, when you say a racial slur then, then about someone is black, then everyone gets offended. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you say a racial slur about someone who's white, no one gets offended, everybody laughs. Well and and there's where we come back to that for some people, like for instance, using certain racial evidence, they treat it the same as if you attack them violently. Yeah. It's and it's really not. Well, if you if you understand that that you can't I can't actually offend you. Okay, not really. You like healthy offended by words. Yeah, I can do something. I can do something. And then you can take offense to it. You can see it and associate it with certain things in your own mind and come to a conclusion that it has negative connotations for you or somebody you know and then become mad about it. But that's not me offending you. That's you getting upset about something I said. There's no, you can't really offend other people. I mean, you seriously, you can't. I mean, the whole idea of being able to that that you're able to actually, you're actually the cause of their offense is a problem. All right, in the sense that that whatever offense they've taken, however they perceive what it is you said, it's their perception, not yours. They're the ones that perceive the offense. Right. So if yeah. I were to say to another now, now I could know, for instance, I could say, well, I know that this offend, this will upset that person if I say it. I know that's how they're going to react because that's how they reacted last time I said it. All right. Yeah. But at the same time, it's their own mind that's doing it, not yours. So if you use a racial epithet and someone goes nuts over that. It's not you that caused that. It's them, their inability to control themselves. I see and hear lots of things all the time I don't like. What was that thing that came out a couple of years ago? Uh, was it uh, mi- microaggression? Mm-hmm. That's the same concept. Right. But basically what they're saying is, is that you must constantly be thinking about how anything that you might say or do will make other people feel constantly every moment of the day you must be you must spend an inordinate amount of time worrying about everybody else's feelings all the time and it's basically it's paralyzing but what this comes down to once again is a fanaticism you know these guys are zealots 
this is a form of zealotry, and, and they're zealots about multiculturalism and race race mixing and things like that. And so they are such zealots that they want to remove any sort of boundary that will keep people, you know, they, they think that will make us get along better as people, as people from different racial groups and backgrounds and cultures. This is basically a religion. It's become a religion. And Martin Luther King, at this point in time, is is their savior. You know, Jesus Christ is the Christian savior, our savior. Martin Luther King is the secular multiculturalist savior. Yeah, yes. Yeah, and you... And and what we might get accused of this podcast with with, with this specific one, with uh, accused of calumny or and racism. Of what? Ca- calumny and racism, uh, trying to destroy oh. someone's reputation. Oh well, they can't say one. I'm not trying to destroy anything. Stating facts. If that destroys, but if, the if facts what are the not did. If, if people finding out what the man did hurts his reputation, that's not me. I'm not saying things that are untrue. If you don't, if something that you've done, if you're worried about the things that you do destroying your reputation, then you shouldn't have done them. You can't look at me and say, I know I did those things, but you can't talk about it because it might destroy my reputation. Full fucking shit. Dumbass, don't do it. You know, if you don't want people talking about you going out and having wild orgies and cheating on your wife, don't do that stuff. If you don't want people accusing you and showing evidence of you stealing other people's work, then don't steal it. I can't think of anything more ridiculous. If someone were to accuse us of that, you know, my response would be to them, go fuck yourself. That's my response. And by the way, if you're listening to this podcast, we're rated R. So, but you you understand what I'm saying, David? Mm Mm-hmm. You know they need to yeah. uh, understand. They're, they're just they, again, once again, bullshit. It's bullshit. They're 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 essentially it's it's almost a form of gaslighting. Mm-hmm. You know what I said the other night? If we were talking about um, and we were just now we were talking about offense, people taking offense to what you say, what you do. Um, again. If thine eye offends thee, pluck it out. Stop yeah. looking at it. If you don't like what you see, you don't like what you hear, shut us off. If you could channel uh, Nietzsche's, Nietzsche's mind, how would he diagnose the 21st century? The 21st century? Yeah. So far, he would consider it to be sick. He would consider a society sick. Um, you know, and, and I can see it. I mean, Nietzsche blamed Christianity for a lot of it. 
And I, I don't, I don't think that he hated Christianity because I've read, uh, you know, some of his work and quite a bit of his work, and he said some good things about Christianity. Uh, but he also blamed Christianity for slave morality. I, I don't think it was necessarily all the Catholic Church's fault. I think some other uh, groups in within the Christian faith have played a role in that, uh, mm-hmm. where they're where they. I think some Christian groups are actually based more in a type of slave slave morality but in the church. But the church, especially with Pope Francis. He kind of he. I bet you he's the type that likes Martin Luther too. Um, he they they engage in slave morality by saying the plight of the of the poor immigrants, the poor immigrants, is more important than the plight of the of the nation. That the nation must be uh, nation must submit itself. To that of the needs of the people who are coming in and are not wanted by the population, that that that's sinful. You should you should want that. Well, you should want people who want to take think? over your geography and want to kill you. But what do you? But what do you think? Uh, what do you think their their motivation for that is? Um, he's a leftist. He was born in Argentina. He's from Argentina. Right, but the church around a lot of seems to. But the church as a whole seems to have a lot of support for that position. It's because it it was planted in the 1950s and 40s. Well, people like people like Saul Alinsky were coming into the church. People uh, and other leftist individuals who were coming into the church, uh, and maybe a little bit before that. It it wasn't really a a huge problem throughout church history. It's uh, slave morality, well, but. I, I think that I think that the ch- one of the reasons the church pushes it is because they're already multicultural. They're already globalist. I mean, their their capital is a tiny piece of land in Italy. The vast majority of the Catholic Church's holdings are in foreign countries. They're already globalist. They're they're no different than a large multi multicultural global corporation in that sense. I, I the second I reason that why that is com- if you look at if you look at the United States, the people who are immigrating here, by and large, are Catholic. All right, poor Catholics, and it fills the churches up. And if they're getting money, if they come to the United States and get on welfare and get more wealth, that's more money into the church coffers. Uh, I do, I do think it's it's good that all all men are saved, and that. Uh, but I do believe in the concept of nationhood. Um, well, I don't think that this is an issue about whether they're saved or not. You know, this yeah. is not this is not a whether you accept Jesus Christ issue or not. This is a this is a for the church. This is a monetary issue. I mean, it's pure and simple. These people come to the United States, and their welfare. Uh, when you're living on two dollars a day, when you're basically living on less than a thousand dollars a year, and you come to the United States. And you get a six hundred dollar a month welfare check. That's all. And you're and you and you've been tithing even when you're only getting eight or nine hundred dollars a year. And now you come to the United States and you believe in tithing. If you're given ten percent of that, well, you're given you're given more than the seventy bucks a year or eighty eighty bucks a year you were given. Now you're given twelve hundred dollars a year or 
$700 a year. It's, it's just good business for the church. Period. Yeah. It's good business for the church. I hate that, but it's the truth. I think the globalism and where I think it comes from the leadership. I don't think it comes from the doctrine of the church. I don't well, think no, it comes from Christ. no. Well, I, I, think I, think, from, I think I think that this particular doctrine, though, I think that the doctrine on immigration that they've been putting out the last X decades it's is not a cap- not from is not from Christ. No, it's a global. We've been globalized. Uh, now, they use, they try to use Christ to justify it by saying things like Jesus was an immigrant because I know the Pope said that before. Yeah, Jesus was in Egypt. No, he didn't. He, they didn't remain even in Egypt. They went back to Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. He wasn't an immigrant from another country. He stayed in his own country. Yeah. All right. He didn't. He, he he wasn't trying to get to Rome. This yeah, is, he was. This is these are the. This is just an absolute falsehood that Jesus was an immigrant. It, yeah, it's an absolute ridiculous statement to, for him to make. And so, it's it, it, it's all silly. It's all uh, slave morality, and it's on purpose because he, all the members of the church come from. From well, all mostly come from a globalized world. You don't you don't have a representative. I don't think you have a representative from Papua New Guinea. I, I think they like. Yeah. I think people of Papua New Guinea. I think they like their culture. They're not they're not the most intelligent people, I, and I don't expect them to be. Uh, but but people from Papua New Guinea, they're going to want to speak their language. They're going to want this for themselves because that's just the way. Humans are structured. We have our own culture and language. And the idea right. that you can fuse all the cultures together, that's, it's, it's just silly. And it's, and it's a liberal fantasy that's one of their wet dreams that's never going to come true. Well, you, you have to understand, you know, when God had an opportunity to have multiculturalism, he rejected it. God rejects multiculturalism. All you have to do is look at the Tower of Babel. Yeah, the Tower of Babel. Yeah, it's God who split us into different nations. Yeah, I and the idea of a utopia that we'll have this uh, Garden of Eden scenario. It's just like it, I call it serpent talk. Yeah, I, the whole the whole concept of of multiculturalism is not a concept that God has ever talked about. It doesn't. It isn't a godly idea. In my opinion, in my opinion, it actually falls more in line with with uh, with something that Satan would push because it's worldly. Anything that is is concentrated and and uh, uh, focused on the on the welfare, on the general welfare of society and nations in this world, uh, above and beyond anything else, is not of God. This, God doesn't really care, doesn't want you to care very much about this world. He doesn't want you to sit back and look and think about all the people in the world and how you're going and what we're going to do for all the people in the world. He wants you to concentrate on what you can do 
as one man, one woman, helping your neighbors and the people around you that you could immediately do something for in your life. And that's where part of this problem comes in, thinking about the world. Just think about God and help, help the person next to you. He doesn't, he doesn't want you to be doing all this. He'll worry about the world. You worry about your business, and you help all the people you can that you can see right now, day to day in your life. And this is, this is the problem with the church. It's focused on helping the world, and what they need to be concentrating on is saving souls. And I think that this is kind of some of the things that Michael Boris has been talking about as far as the, this Pope goes. I mean, I would imagine. I mean, God doesn't want us to worry about the environment. He doesn't care about the environment. He doesn't care about this world. We're going to go, you go to heaven when you die. He, I, I say that he did say that um, that humans are supposed to take care of the land, but but you don't need to accomplish, you are, accomplish yeah. that. To, to accomplish it through government force or socialism, it, it just leads to the tragedy of the common. The, the Bible is not, is not a speech to millions of people at one time. The Bible is directed to each one of us individually one at a time. It's not something for us to it's not a message necessarily. I mean, you can see it kind of as a collective message, but it doesn't talk about collective action. It's a book about individual action. Maybe it's a maybe it's a message to us collectively, but the message is to be the best person you can be in general and worry about worry about getting to heaven, not be the best nation you can be or do this and do that watch your taxation and, you know, do all these things and, and set up all these programs and make sure you have retirement and Medicare for all and all of that. When you read the Bible, it's addressed to you specifically. What you can do. That's the problem. You know, God, God doesn't talk to, he's not talking to the society and says, I want your society as a society to go do this as a society, as a collective. And the collective is to not, I don't want you to collectively sin. No. Everything is addressed to us as individuals. If you see a person who's destitute and needs help, you don't go to your to your president of your you don't go to the leader of your collective and say, Hey, can we help this person? And then everybody in the collective movement wants to help that one person. God wants, you know, people to go one person at a if you see that person, you go help them. That's where we're off track. This is part of the problem with societies, the type of thinking. Everything's off kilter. That's the problem with Martin Luther King Day. That's the problem with multiculturalism. That's the problem with all of it. 
nobody actually takes anything in the proper context. And it's not because they don't want to. It's because the people who are in positions of authority and power constantly try to twist your brain, twist your mind, and take you out of the proper context. That's what propaganda is about. It's about twisting your perspective. So you see it at every level, right? Yes. Every level. So this is this is where I mean you have to understand. I mean, in my opinion, anyway, where I'm coming from. If you if you understand where I'm coming from, um, you start to see between Marxism, socialism, even the church. Uh, Keynesian thinking, immigration, but they're not always pushing. Not the one that I see in the Bible. Let me put it like that. I mean, I know that the, the yeah. Pope. The, the Pope and, and the Cardinals and the Bishops, they can come up with new stuff. The uh, um, Yeah, the Church, even Benedict, I agree slightly more with Benedict's politics. Um, but but he he also, like, like most current Popes, believed in the universal Universalization, yeah, universality, universality of healthcare, of healthcare. Yeah, and and you can't do that, and you you can't say that people have a universal right to the labor of other people. It's just it doesn't. You just can't do that. No, you can't. I believe in the universalization of healthcare, but I have original thoughts. Yes, yes, kid. Well, well, I mean, you know, it's one thing to say I believe that everybody who wants an apple and sees an apple can eat the apple. All apples should be free, but that doesn't require anybody to do anything. Those just grow on trees. I mean, I'm not saying that's true. I'm just saying that, you know, you can't look at something that requires the labor of other people and then say that, that people have a right to it. People have a universal right to the uh, labor of others. Yeah, they have the univer- They have a universal right to the labor of healthcare providers, of doctors and nurses. Essentially, they're slaves. If you because if you can say that people have a universal right to healthcare, then basically, when a doctor says no, I'm not going to perform. Me- I'm not going to practice medicine on you. You could th- you could justify throwing them in prison or whatever, and say, well, you know, I have a right to health care, which means you have to do it, even if you don't want to. And if I can't pay you, you're doing it anyway. Because I have a right to it. You know that that's that's where we're at when we start talking like that. But these things, all of these things, they're all basically tied together to a certain way of thinking. And, you know, all of it, and I think it goes back to something you said the first hour of, of our podcast tonight, 
it, it all goes back to um, a disrespect for property rights. I mean, I, I think I agree with you 100%. I think everything that I've talked about, everything that you've talked about for the last hour and 15 minutes can all go back to what you said earlier in the podcast, property rights, every last bit of it. You either respect them or you don't, wouldn't you say? Yeah, it, it's an absolute, it's an absolute, it is a, a quote, the Catholic term, it is property rights is the sine qua non. Sure. It, Sine qua non, meaning uh, from without which there is none. It is the final straw. Property rights are the final straw. The only rights are property rights, and they must be preserved uh, 100%. I'll say I agree with the nap, but it's not. Something on it's something in the back of my mind right now as a as a rule of law within a legal framework system. Well, the the problem is that this is this is as I've mentioned before where we get into trouble. And this is the 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 NAP in my opinion is brilliant because it's it's very short and succinct. It says a whole lot with very little words, very few words. The problem is is how we define violence, and this is the issue that I think separates uh, those who believe in property rights and those who don't. It separates them. People who don't believe in property rights also have a tendency to view things like words as violence. I don't know if you've noticed that. Yes, microaggression. Right. So violence, violence is, you know, could be anything. Anything that offends other people. So what what we have to do is we have to be very specific about our definition of, of aggression. And I don't believe – I believe that we need to um, make sure that we point out that it needs to be physical aggression, that words cannot be counted as aggression. I mean, that, that's kind of where I'm at on this. If, if someone says something, I'm going to pound them. No, that that violates uh, argumentation because uh, it's not it's not reciprocate it's not reciprocating uh, ideas. That's reciprocating ideas by force. Well, the thing it's, about uh, words are is that you can say something to somebody and hurt their feelings, and there's no permanent damage. I mean, it's on. It's just what they think. It upsets them. Basically, is what it means. And then you know, fifteen, twenty, thirty minutes later, they're okay. They still get in their car and go home, or go to the store, go to the movies, or go do whatever it is they want to do. If, if people I think attack so you and beat you up, you may go to the hospital. I could maim you for life or kill you. There's a difference. There's yeah, that microaggression. It's not reciprocating when you practice actual aggression. Right. Right. And the fact that you say actual aggression, see, that, that should be a tip-off. The fact that they say things, they, they put any time, if you notice, they start putting words, they start taking words like aggression and adding something to it, microaggression, um, verbal aggression, or 
another good example, social justice. Okay? They add the word social to it in order to try and justify actually committing injustices. When anytime someone starts saying social injustice, I start looking for who it is they want to aggress against, who they want to physically attack or hurt. You know, who, what the, who it is, where, who are they trying to do an injustice to? Because they're talking social justice. That means that they're wanting to affect somebody's property or physical well-being every time. So there's justice, which is real justice, and then there's, quote, social justice, unquote. And social justice is always a justification for committing an injustice. which is what discrimination is as well. Accusing you of discrimination is an excuse for taking away your right to choose something for yourself. I mean, I, I wrote that long essay about that, you know, on my blog. So it's... All this stuff is connected. All of it. Martin Luther King is a is a in my opinion a symptom. Martin Luther King's day, all of it, it's a symptom of a broader problem of the inversion of our values, transvaluation Trans- of values, of all values. What Nietzsche talked about, yeah. and now we are right. we, we are completely we're completely ensconced in slave morality. We are thick in it, mm-hmm. right. And and what we've done is we've we've inverted everything, you know, and that's something Hop has talked about as well. He's used the phrase transvaluation of values. So I, I think I think that what we see is we see a wholesale an attempt at wholesale inver, inversion of Western society. And and you see it typically. Uh, white whites have adopted it uh, because of. Uh, Proximity with, um, sorry to say, proximity with most minorities who don't hold, don't necessarily hold those Western values near and dear to them of individualism and and freedom. Uh, well, we're not all equal, you know. So, and yeah, we're not. Whites. We're not oh, yeah, all yeah, equal, right? Yeah, some some whites, some what lot? I'd say about half, or I don't know, probably half, approximately. Uh, of, have adopted slave morality where well, where they think that if we if, if we believe that culture and ethnicity is interlinked genetically we have to accept the fact that some whites I'd say 30 to 35 percent of the population are genetically predisposed to behave as minorities do and yeah, there is a I certain percentage of minorities who are predisposed to behave as most as as the majority of western western Europeans do i'll put a and I'll put a disclaimer on this. most people act in their interest of their race and when when uh Jews or when black people um, vote vote democrat or hispanics vote democrat because of our because of our um Unmitigated immigration crisis and allowing every uh, Bob and 
Lisa over here, we've we've allowed a we've everybody vote a lot of people vote Democrat. They they vote to undermine the other civilizations are gonna vote to support their race and their racial views. It's their their uh, race's views of uh what their values. And they they'll well, divert the local population, the native population, in order to fit them, and and the other guy's going to do that too. That fits. That's going to make their their uh, value succeed, and they're going to. And all races do that. All races are about. They do. Uh, they do. It, right. it is essentially slave morality, but um, the Jews have done it. The Jewish diaspora, since they were spread out, they they practice things in order to better support their population. Well, and one thing you have to remember too is that there are cases in which people do not practice critical thinking either well, you know, or they don't care; they're lazy in regards to it, and so they have a misunderstanding of what's actually in their interest. So you'll find that a lot of Western European peoples um, that are uh, lazy when it comes to critical thinking will put themselves in a situation where they are voting for things that are not in their best interest because they've been convinced that it is in their best interest. And I believe there is a fairly decent uh, chunk of people who vote for the Democrat Party who are actually people who just don't practice. They're just not critical thinkers. And as a result, they believe what's being told. And it's a pretty – the Democrats have a – Give it, put out a pretty easy narrative to accept. I mean, it's real, real black and white, and real easy to to do. All you gotta do is turn on CNN, and you get that narrative twenty four seven. So, you know, it, so some of it is just lack and just laziness. I mean, I know people who are highly educated, had enough brain power to get through school, and don't have enough brain power to understand some of the simplest things that you and I talk about, David. Talking about people so, like from the Frank school? Yeah. I mean, I, I think, well, that's a whole other story, but I'm just talking about people who for some reason are intelligent most of the time, but when it comes to this kind of stuff, they, they're not at all. And it's not, I don't believe it's not that they're not intelligent. It's just that they don't commit any energy to it at all. They just get feds. They, you know, they're so busy watching football, or uh, going, you know, doing doing all, you know, going down to the river and having beer, that they don't have any any interest in their society and the politics of their nation or anything at all. And so they just watch TV. And if TV says Trump's bad, then Trump's bad. If the TV says that guy over there's racist, then that guy's racist. And then I can go have my beer now, okay? It's it's very silly. Um, yeah. Oh, it's, it's that childish. guy's racist. Can I have my can I have a beer now? Can we turn on the football game? I think you know. Uh, why why would you want to even do business with someone who doesn't want to do business with you? Um, like, no, no. like talking about the Civil Rights Act. 
Why, why would you want to force a gunpoint to someone to take care of you? It's the same same concept as microaggression again. Right. Well, it comes down to, I mean, now now as far as a lot of the minorities go, uh, they don't have to be brainwashed. They know where their cash cow is. They know that that the the welfare system, affirmative action, uh, the fat government jobs that they're getting because of affirmative action, et cetera, et cetera. They know that all of this is predicated on the ability to tax middle-class white people. Lowering taxes on middle-class white people um, is not in their interest typically. And so they're not going to approve on it. They're for socialism. They want that stuff because they don't I mean why why not? Why not? Why wouldn't they? Why wouldn't they get their freebies? So you know I mean I can't figure it out. Um I think uh yeah, if we, well if we and by the way if we're gonna get a caller we're getting callers, they probably better do it soon. We're down to about thirty three minutes before the show ends. If we have anybody joining us. Um but uh yeah, so so we see a lot of things there. Now now I will tell you there there is no such thing as good socialism. Period. Even now, there's some form. There's some socialism may not be as bad as others. Some ways of doing it, but it's still bad. It's just not as bad as the other, which isn't saying very much. So, but but you know, there, there's two classes in a socialist society. There's those who benefit greatly from socialism. They're the parasitical class, and then there's those that do all the work and don't benefit very much from social, socialism, and they're the host class. Socialism is essentially a form of parasitism, and its primary existence is to support the intellectual class. It always has been, but it always will be that way. You know, when Marx wrote the Communist Manifesto, Das Kapital, all of that, he didn't write that for the proletariat. Proletariat are not educated. The proletariat do, are, are just not. They're not people. These are working class people who the vast majority don't go to college. Hell, back when Marx wrote that, they didn't have universal uh, literacy. A lot of people couldn't read. Marxism, communism, was Marxist communism was written for the intellectual class, the so-called leaders of the proletariat. Marxism is an intellectual ideology, not a working man's ideology. So... You know, uh, all of this stuff is all feeds into the same thing, elites. Where we find ourselves now is about elites. Who's in charge of the system? That depends on who your elites are. If it's communism, it's your it's your academics and your intellectuals. If it's if it's fascism, it is your trade unions, your 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 trade unionists and your, uh, uh, typically your military. 
you know. In a system like we have, which is a progressive um, democratic republic, uh, we have a a system in which you have the academics and our bureau- the bureaucracy, government bureaucracy. So do you take your pick? Military, uh, the military and the intellectuals, which really... Really, there wasn't much of intellectuals for the for the fascists. It's, it's primarily so. It's for the fascists, it's trade union workers and um, the military. For communists, what you find is it's typically, like I said, uh, academic intellectuals and the working class. For uh, for us, it's bureaucracy and academics, government bureaucrats and academics. So that's that's who's running our system. That's who gains benefits the most from all this. Um, but uh, anyway, I mean we've 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 like talked about. 50 different things tonight, I think, and it's all centered around the idea of Martin Luther King and, and the system that we are living in, in which he is essentially our, he's almost like, he's almost like the, like I said earlier, the savior of uh, this, this secular multiculturalist system. He's, he's the Jesus Christ of secular multiculturalism. Yeah, I think that, uh, that he represents like the Jesus Christ of secularism. And and all us opposing him are evil uh, demagogues uh, who want to um, bring back civilization to a bygone era. And that ain't even the truth at all. Right. Well, it, I mean, we, we want to make America great again. They, they're the demagogues who – the progressives are the ones who are the demagogues. They're the ones who want to uh, put their foot – up people of property rights owners, they want to put their foot up far behind so that they could get a hold and take control just like the commies they are. Right. Well, like I said, you know, when you have a progressive government like we have, you deal with your bureaucracy. We we have progressive bureaucracies. That's what runs our country. Those other nations, they have different types. They're all three a different type of, of, of thought process. Um, and yes, they, they, the reason why they don't like property rights, David, any of them, is because property rights get in the way of them doing what they want to do. It's not a principled position. You know, it's, it's specifically about uh, creating rules that limit the power of those who are in charge. They don't like that. They don't want any limits on what they can do. So, um, so on another note, because we've been hammering away at this for a long time, what do you think about the Super Bowl coming up? Or do you got you have something to add before we move on to something else? Yeah, in the in the end, it's it was all about uh, equal access to white. Because and, and there's a reason behind it. I, I was li- listening beforehand to uh, 
I was listening beforehand to uh, Tariq Nasheed. It's another microaggression scenario where he was saying that uh, that him that he, he gave the definition to Jared Taylor in their debate about what white supremacy is. And white supremacy, he said, was about whites mistreating and trying to dominate and rule over blacks. And and Tariq was saying that saying and um, maintaining that the superior say, Jared saying that he was having a superior IQ as being white is that he's exerting uh, mistreatment over him. Right. And and that and that's not even the case at all. What Jared was saying. Ah, it, I got you. Yeah, yeah, it's not. It's not. And this is another. Um, it, it falls into that idea of wanting them to have um, equal access to whites. Well, if if, if you, <laughs> it's you don't, because they're just trying yeah. to find reasons to do it. Well, um, I think Super Bowl. I think uh, I think that sounds about right. I mean, they they conflate the idea of uh, they conflate the idea of whites being suprem- having some sort of supremacist position over them, with which in truth is not that denying them access to you, denying them access to your to your income, to your taxes and things like that. That's not supremacist. So we just had somebody call in and join us. Who's with us? Can you all hear me? Yeah, is this David? Yeah, this is David. Hey, David. How are you doing? Ah, doing all right. The other David talked me into doing this. Uh, okay. <laughs> so, so, so you're you're on for the last few minutes to to chit chat. Uh, what, what, well, what do you that, think David? of the Civil Rights Act and Martin Luther King? I uh, can't say anything that wouldn't get you all kicked off here. I think it's a load of I think it's a load of honestly thinks he'd hate the direction they went. So. Uh, you can – this is a I, – I, I'm not going to curse because I, I, I swore not to do that anymore. But you can curse all you want. Uh, but uh, – uh, but uh, if he could, uh, if he could describe it without any epithet, what uh, <laughs> what do you think of Martin Luther King? What, what do you think of the Civil Rights Act? Do you, uh, why 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 do you, uh, why do you think they wanted it? You there, David? Did we lose you? No, no, I'm still there. I'm just trying to think of an educated response because I honestly don't give a shit. <laughs> 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 well, uh, I I assume you might be with with Harper on this issue, maybe, right? I don't know what's his take on it. I haven't been keeping up in a while. He believes that uh, you can run communities. Uh, in, well, in his um, 
you could probably work your way in with if you wanted a national community, but uh, you could probably uh, if you subscribe to Hoppa, most of Hoppa's views that you can create communities based on uh, based on where you uh, don't allow uh, blacks, Jews, um, Germans, uh, French, or Italians in your community if you believe that it is against the interest of your community. Oh, I don't see a problem with letting the Germans in. Right. People <laughs> well, can form, okay. form so, communities. So, so, so think about it like People this, can, David. The idea that the idea that you can you can create any kind of exclusionary community you want. If, if black people all got together and said we didn't want any white people living in their community, they could do that. Well, I mean, that's kind of the point. Well, well, I think the the point I'm, the point that Hopper was making is is that uh, in that type of world there wouldn't be an America. There'd be a, a lot of covenant communities spread out across the world. In, in his in his estimation of what it would be like, and in that situation, then you'd have communities where you know you could exclude people based on whatever. Well, we see how Africa turned out. Well, but 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 you got to understand is that I mean, how much does Africa affect you or me? Do we really care? No, not really. Okay, so if you don't go there, you don't live there. Why do you care? I don't know. It's when they it's come the here. It's well, it's it's when people that it's when people come here and demand that we do things a certain way and try to attach, you know, try try to skim taxes off of us and things like that for for things that we don't approve of. That's when there's an issue. Yeah. When they come to our community and start trying to, you know, that that's kind of what Hop is talking about. Hop is the ultimate anti-globalist capitalist. He he believes people naturally, uh, for the most most of the time, he believes people naturally segregate and form communities. Like the prostitutes end up in the prostitute in the decadent communities, while the uh, uh, people who are uh, middle class align themselves along with these type of communities, and Catholics align themselves in this community, Protestants align themselves in this community, atheists go over here, and it's a natural occurring thing. And when people try to, when the government tries to uh, uh, take control and put all these communities together. It, it it starts to make a mess of things, and it's and that's globalism. That's what Hoppe believes. <laughs> so that yeah yeah, but I don't know. I think uh, I really don't. I mean, I just want to be left alone mostly. Thank yeah, you. that's that's to be what I work off of. Build the wall. Let me own my guns. That's better. Yeah, that's it. Let me drink my beer. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing nothing wrong with having some beer. I I guess it's kind of like I was talking about earlier. You just don't want to be the guy that's like, give me my beer, and you never think about any of these bigger issues at all. Those people vote. I think, yeah. I think... I think I can't. I was thinking of just now a hoppy in society just can't come soon enough. Well, I wouldn't. If I were you, I mean, I'm looking at the shades that the world's in today. If I were you, I would not hold my breath for it. 
the world is fucked. That you. Yeah, I, I would not expect that you and I, I, I don't, or I don't even expect, or David Blue will ever see it. You know, I mean, we tried the, the 1930s, and we see how that went. Well, we tried. We tried in, in 1776. Pretty much all the, maybe, maybe before, the, before there before there was a constitution. You could kind of look at each mm-hmm. state as its own country, and but you could travel from state to state without any any limits on that. So if you didn't like the way they were doing it in one state, you'd go to another one, and that worked out pretty good. But the gut, but the the federal government stuff didn't like it because they didn't have enough power. Always comes down to that, doesn't it? Somebody wants more power. Yeah, yeah. it's usually where the screws it all up. Yeah. Well, I think, yeah, Hop uh, and Hoppy and Libertarianism. Is the is the ultimate anti MLK antidote anti MLK society we come to antidote, but but I I won't hold my breath for it happening. Of course, you're right. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't. I just it's one of those things. I think the best we can ever get to is if we can get back down to the point to where we have a really tiny government. That's about I, it, the best you I think you're it, ever going to see. I, and I. I know you're. Uh, it's going to happen through civil war, and it's going to happen through civil wars throughout the world that occur, occur, and occur. Well, maybe I don't know. I don't know. I mean, looking at the mindset of people, you know, even people who say they're as libertarian as they come, <laughs> look at their mindset. <laughs> The, and, well, I'm and, and them look at their mindset. Yeah, people like Penn Gillette, as much as I've liked him, admired him in the past, he didn't say anything about the Civil Rights Act being a libertarian because he he capitulated and he copped out. He was like, I'm not going to say anything that makes me sound racist. Right. Because he's, I was he's a Cato. Well, you know, I was sitting in a pizza hut one time with my ex-wife, and we were talking, and someone she said something about affirmative action. I said, you know, I don't agree with affirmative action. And she said, shh. She started looking around. These people are going to think you're racist. And we and there wasn't a single black person in the room. The pizza hut here in our town, the only thing you got to worry about is the meth head spitting in it. Yeah. <laughs> Well, well, I think the point is is that there wasn't there wasn't a black person in the room. It was surrounded by white people, and she was worried that they'd think I was racist because I didn't support affirmative action. So you tell me if we're ever going to get to the point to where we actually have anything that even resembles anything that Hoppe talks about. It, if it ever happens, it's not going to happen anytime soon. You know, when you're worried about the people who ought to be supporting that type of stuff being the ones that you have to, you know, are going to come after you. There's a, there's an issue. We're we're so brainwashed. 
have you guys either one of you guys watch CNN? No, I don't even have TV service. Fake news network. You CNN, the Communist News Network. Yeah, that. Yeah, I don't listen to that. Uh, The most trusted name in news. What'd I don't listen say? to anything some big bullshit news channel tells me. Nothing. They, they literally Nothing made up all. news. And, and and they're still the most trusted name in news. It proves how dumb people are if they actually believe. Who see it in? Yeah. I don't know if they're the I don't know if they're actually the most trusted, but they say they are. They just, they just say that as a tagline to make them sound like they're a legitimate source of information. Yeah. Sounds like communist propaganda, but okay. It is, it is communist propaganda. Yeah, well. So so you know uh David's headed back to town, right, Dave? Which Dave? I'm talking Yeah, to I'm Dave. heading back to town. <laughs> Did David? This is for Yeah. I'm going to call one of you David. I'm going to call the other one Dave. So the guy that came on last is Dave. The other one's David. Well, you could call me Little so, Hitler for Little Hitler for all I give a shit. Yeah. All right, Little Hitler. Um, <laughs> uh, D- David, did you did you tell Dave? David. Oh yeah, he knows. Oh, okay, so so he knows he David's headed back to town. Well, anyway, so you don't care what we call you, Dave? No, not really. What if I call you as long as? What if we call you late for dinner? You care about that? Uh. <laughs> you know, jokes on you. I'm broke and I don't have anything to eat, so I might actually take somebody no. up on that offer. <laughs> <laughs> you crazy Dave. Yeah. Uh, so you had you're running you you've got a page you're running on Facebook, right? Dave? Oh, yeah. It has yeah. no followers because it's not very popular. Well how many followers is that? I don't know. Last I checked it's around fifty something. I think you got more than that. You got a whole bunch uh-huh. of likes, don't you? You got at least a few hundred likes. No, no. All I'll post is a bunch of stupid racist shit. Well, what well, you ought to be think more about popular that, than that. It, it kind of sucks now, haven't it? I remember when uh, Jared, Jared Howe was on um, Facebook. That. I think he he was pretty it was pretty cool having him on Facebook now him being gone kind of like that. Well, you remember him dating Noah? Hold on, I'm trying to find find out where I set my beer down at. <laughs> I'm getting on that there that there podcast, hold my beer. I went in the kitchen to grab a brownie, you know, I can't find my beer. Wait a minute, you said you didn't have nothing to eat. I got brownies and sandwiches, that's about it. Ah, uh, see? You got, 
Oh, wow. You got beer. Breakfast changes. So got, yeah, that's what he was saying. You got breakfast. You got beer. Lucky for you, I'm a day Dave, drinker. <laughs> Dave is not drinking beer anymore. So. I didn't even know he drank. <laughs> so oh, well. I, I, I was drinking. I might go back, but... For the meantime, I'm not. Uh, but Chichen, well, we'll have to buy a bottle of schnapps and I could drink you under the table. <laughs> I bet you could. Uh, wait a minute. But I, I, why you got to get? I, wait a minute. But wait a minute. Why are you going to get under the table to drink? No, we're going. I'm going to end up on the floor at some point. Oh, all right. Whether I remember uh, it or not. Uh, yeah, I used to drink uh, Jägermeister. We got a I bottle of schnapps right here somewhere. No, well, you, you ever you ever get into uh, you ever get into Jaeger? No, I drink it a couple of times, but it's never been something that I've bought for myself. Uh, that is really, really after you, if you drink Jaegermeister all night, your mouth real. I mean, that's a really awful taste in the morning. Oh, the I love the black. I like the black. I love the black licorice flavor. Huh. Wait, you love the black flavor? <laughs> God. Black, black liquor, black liquor. Get me worried there for a moment. Uh, well, so we're down to about ten minutes here. We're devolving into we're devolving into alcohol talk. Uh, we we have to have that effect on people around me. We were, talk, we were talking in the beginning. We were talking in the beginning about how Martin yeah. Luther King uh, legitimately confirmed uh, intoxicated himself with sex orgies. Now we're talking about intoxication by alcohol. <laughs> well, but I don't know. It's crazy what, what people. Yeah, but people like to create an image of, of someone like Dr. King. Well, uh, well, he shouldn't even been rewarded that title because he because he plagiarized. Uh, part it's been confirmed he plagiarized. Uh, when he was at Boston College, he plagiarized papers. He plagiarized "I Have a Dream" speech. That wasn't his speech at all. He was it was written for. It's like it's like when these artists uh, like uh, Katy Perry goes out and sings like. Oh man, she really she comes up with these awesome songs. No, her songs. <laughs> you mean like I kissed a girl? In this day and age, are you sure it was a girl? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I kissed a trans girl and I <laughs> What is that supposed to mean? Are you sure it's a girl? Trans, 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 transgenderism. One of them trans testicles. I gotcha. Are, are you? Yeah, <laughs> uh, well. You're not, well, not so sure now. Every it. phone call I get in. 
What did you say, Dave? I'm sorry. I ruined everything I get into, even phone calls. <laughs> I don't think you've ruined this. You, you brought a comedic After. light to. <laughs> yeah. Oh well. We're gonna, well, we're gonna get, you, do, do you agree that uh, uh, Dave that uh, that for criticizing Dr. King will probably just get accused of uh, bigotry and racism and trying to destroy someone's reputation just because because they call we'll call it edgy. No, no, totally. We'll get accused of racism just because we want the best for our country. Right. Right. So you said build a wall. So that's bad as yeah. it is. Because that's, that's, that's racist. I, I don't say that word anymore, racist. That, that, word is, yeah. that word is so overused and abused that it, it lacks any real meaning. And that's what Hoppe said recently. Yeah, it's lost all of its yeah. freaking meaning. Yeah. He, he recently said, if I see differences, I see differences between races and... Uh, he's he's made a comment on in his book about time preference difference between races. He goes, he goes, um, I see differences between races. If 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 I see that, then I then I, I guess of course I'm a racist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw that interview with uh, Michael well, Malachi. Yeah. We're we're down to about five minutes. Uh, well, so I guess it's about yeah, time to wrap I think, it. I think, if you've got well, some last add. comments you want to make, we've got we got like thirty minutes to a minute. If you want to make some last comments before we go, I think uh, that the, the, oh, that does it just uh, 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 I think the term the term racist um, was in, was invented by um, um, by Trotsky. It was called racial. He he made the term up in the nineteen twenties. That well, no, there yeah, were people made, in the early eighteen hundreds that used the term racist, but it was a term. It was a type of science. It was literally a form of science. That's what's so crazy about it. But he's probably the guy that started using it in the in the ter- in the way that it's used now. You know. But, Oh well, so we're we're down there. We're I guess this is it, guys. We'll wrap it here, um, and uh, I'm sure we'll be back soon, a couple of days or something. And uh, Dave, I'd like to have you back on sometime for more than about 15 minutes. All right, that works. Uh, I'll try to be slightly more sober next time. <laughs> Not necessary. Oh my goodness. Not necessary. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. All right, uh, David. It's good, good talking to you guys, and we'll we'll wrap it up. We'll talk again later. All right. Yeah. All right. Happy Martin. Happy Martin Luther King's Day, everybody. Happy Michael Luther King Day. (laughs) Yep. Happy Michael Luther King Day. I'm I'm just gonna upset every, every snowflake out there. Every person that feels microaggressive said, "Happy, uh, happy, hoppy, hoppy, and reform uh, day." <laughs> <laughs> All right. Talk to you later, David. Bye. Bye. Close all university departments for Black, Latino, women, gender, queer studies, and so forth. 
as incompatible with science and dismiss its faculties as intellectual impostors or scoundrels. As well, demand that all affirmative action commissars, diversity and human resource officers from universities on down to schools and kindergartens be thrown out onto the street and be forced to learn some useful trade. Six, crush the anti-fascist mob. The transvaluation of all values throughout the West, the invention of ever more victim groups, the spread of affirmative action programs, and the relentless promotion of political correctness has led to the rise of an anti-fascist mob, tacitly supported and indirectly funded by the ruling elites. This self-described mob of social justice warriors has taken upon itself the task of escalating the fight against white privilege through deliberate acts of terror directed against anyone and anything deemed racist, right-wing, fascist, reactionary, incorrigible, or unreconstructed. Such enemies of progress are physically exhausted, but